Chicago Sun-Times critic Roger Ebert called this movie a series of missed opportunities and unexploited situations. A movie that wants to have genuine nastiness at its heart, but never quite works up the energy or the nerve to be truly heartless. Variety thought it was very clever and engaging from beginning to end. And Rita Kentley of the Washington Post suggested just throw the whole thing in front of a subway and hope it gets dragged a couple of miles. On this episode of Ruined Childhoods, we decide the fate of Throw Mama from the Train. Which one will it be? Greetings, Starfighters. Little extra enunciation for you on this. Yeah, that was like Tony the Tiger introducing the show. Greetings. Sorry, that wasn't Tony. Greetings. Is that Tony the Tiger? They're Just with an emphasis on the R in greetings. Yes. I hey, you know. Yeah, so Rune Childhood's time. We're doing it. We're in 1987. Dan, how do we continue on from you know coming after a, a an episode with the Keith Coogan? How awesome was that? How do you move on from that? How do you move on from that? How cool. I hope that our listeners enjoyed listening to him talk and he, I didn't even include everything, every story that he told. Once we stopped officially, actually, like recording, he still talked more oh. about alluding to stories about certain people. It was amazing, John. I loved it. I had an, I had an awesome time, but it felt like Lord of the Rings: Return of the King. It had like three endings. Yeah. Like when I was editing we- it, I was just like how can I move this chunk over there? And it's like, I can't because everything is so fluid. We good journeyed like a good 30 minutes before we (laughs) stopped talking, but it was a great conversation and grateful to uh, Keith Coogan for, you know, giving us his time and, and sharing some fantastic stories and giving us a sense of what it was to be a young actor in in the 80s. Absolutely. Well, not just a young actor, but well, a thriving young actor. Oh, oh yeah. No, I mean like a young Hollywood actor who's who's popping up in in a lot of high-profile movies and a lot of these movies which are still favorites today whether it's something that's uh, like Hiding Out which is more of a of a cult favorite to uh and adventures in babysitting or don't tell mom the babysitter's dead, which, which is a huge hit. And I think these are movies that like, you know, when the people of that generation, when their kids are at the right age, it's like, Oh, look, adventures in babysitting is on. We're going to, we got to watch this. Absolutely. Yeah, totally. For sure. Yeah. Uh, So just jumping off of something that I, I meant to say, on our last episode. This is my one more thing. So when we were talking with Keith about movies like Hiding Out, and he was comparing it to body swap movies 
such as like Father Like Son and Freaky Friday that take an adult and kind of put them into a younger person's element, which is not necessarily true with those movies because it's younger people playing older people in a young person's body. I mean, John, this is not the right episode to break this down, but in the body swap movies, generally speaking, for the most part, a, a true body swap movie is where you've got the the adult pretending to be it's Judge Reinhold and vice versa, but acting like Fred Savage's character and Correct. vice versa. Fred yeah. Savage is, or, you know, or Dudley Moore, Kirk Cameron. Yeah. So big is big is kind of the asterisk in is, sure. is one of the asterisks in that field. Eighteen again, yeah, is another is a play on that that came up. Yeah, well, absolutely. What, what I wanted to bring up is that one movie. Well, actually, a couple movies that are more similar to this, and these examples came a little bit later. But Sister Act is a much closer. Oh example where you have somebody who's playing a, a, who has to fit into a role that's completely out of their element and to, to for the sake of humor but very similarly to run from the mob and i mean she's in witness protection is she play she actually in witness protection or is she She's I, it's not, been a while since I've well, seen it. And and talk about another movie that we could devote uh, an entire episode to. And um and we might. But but in relation to hiding out. Yeah. In but no 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 because we're talking about it cuz I agree with you. I think it is a uh it it follows a similar structure to hiding out where it's a little different because she's I think it's like the Reno police. Yeah. That oh. put her because it's uh, the the cop played by Bill Nunn. Uh, I forget his name. Um, Eddie. Or How something. could you be expected to remember his name? When's the last time you saw Sister oh. Act? John, come on, tell me. <laughs> I, I'm sorry, you don't have you have that little faith in me. It, it's like, uh, yeah, Lieutenant. Oh, it's on the tip of my tongue. Anyway, um, so. He puts her, he kind of stashes her away. He doesn't tell anybody. But I don't think he's, F, I don't remember him being FBI is that a thing that. that. Is that a thing that you can do? Just stash somebody away? In a convent and turn them into a nun? Yeah, right? No, I, I mean, I don't, maybe, there, I'm sure somewhere out there, there's like, yes, it's the real life Sister Act. Sure. So anyway, Sister Act and similarly, My Blue Heaven but probably more so sister act. It, you know, that those are closer and, and it's fish out of water, fish, out, fish of water. out of water. It's fish out of water in, in hiding out. You had John Cryer playing a high school student, but that isn't so far fetched. I think that he was in his early twenties when he, when they actually shot that. I, it was a year after he was a high school student in Pretty in Pink. Yeah, so there's nothing to... I mean, what's even more shocking and what we had joked about is having there be a remake where it's a younger person playing a high school student. And we joked about Jacob Tremblay. But <laughs> uh, what's funny is actually John Cryer playing a stockbroker is 
kind of the same thing. I'm pretty sure that that beard is 100% fake. We didn't talk about the beard, but- We didn't talk about the beard. The beard is in my notes. Had we been interviewing John Cryer, I would have asked about the beard. Yeah, right. He's like- didn't you guys read my biography? I said 1987. No, thank you. Yeah. But what's so funny <laughs> is that I'm sure that in 1987 and in like VHS releases and things like that, you couldn't see the detail of like the latex peeling away from his face. But in high def, you can definitely see the detail of that fake ass beard. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> and it's great. I, I love it. But I it never... Read is so false to me until the last time, um, just a few weeks ago when I watched Souther, it. Souther, Eddie Souther, Eddie. You didn't you say Eddie or Ed? I said Eddie. Yes, I knew yeah. it was Eddie. That I, I was. It was the last name that I was having trouble with. So there, I just had to. There you go. Sister Act is so good. So Sister I, Act is very good. Uh, it features our uncle Dennis in a in a background acting role. Uncle, yeah, it's a fish out of water there. Jewish man in a church. I don't know. <laughs> oh, well, I think that in the shots not that really, he was in, so it was much. pretty much just a, no. a warm body. Yeah. Um, you could also see Uncle Dennis in What Dreams May Come. Yes, you yeah. certainly can. He has some, uh, I don't we think we'll do be that, covering that one. Yeah. We're not going to do What Dreams May Come. No, we won't. But uh, I do remember when I saw it, and I do remember some of his stories about that. Now's the time. We're never going to talk about it again. Oh, it was the Lowe's, the Lowe's multiplex on Route 1 in fall of 1998. And um, I was with my girlfriend at the time, and we saw... I think that was the day we like went to, we saw What Dreams May Come and Pleasantville, I think, in the huh. same afternoon. And we just kind of like jumped from one theater to the other. Like, oh, you theater the, hopped. We theater hopped. Yeah. Because um, I, I also remember she and I went to see Apt Pupil at that theater. That in that, Apt at, Pupil. I forgot about Apt Pupil. Yeah. Apt Pupils. Good movie. It's really good. Very good. A great Ian Pretty McKellen performance. Brad Ian Renfro. McKellen kills yeah. it. Well. Well. Yeah. yeah. Past uh, tense. Yeah. yeah. Apt, so, apt pupil. Yeah. Yeah. So, so uh, Dan, did you have any one more things about hiding out or our conversation with Keith Coogan? No, not that come to mind other than it's unfortunate that hiding out is is no longer streaming on Prime. I know. I know. Where like we did our episode and they were like, "Okay, we've that's enough. Let's make room." <laughs> Another thing that I wanted to mention is that uh you know he had mentioned work talked about working with Anthony Rapp on Adventures in Babysitting and uh-huh. Anthony Rapp being the reason why he came across the script for Hiding Out. Which, thank you, Anthony Rapp, for uh, making that happen, because he's so great in hiding out. And, you know, I was thinking, and I was trying, I was just, like, imagining hiding out with Anthony Rapp. And it's not to think, like, oh, it's so hard to imagine that, because it's easy to imagine that, but it would have been so very different. But also, when I watched Adventures in Babysitting recently, it was really hard for me to get out of my mind his role in School Ties. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Anthony Rapp is fantastic. He's done incredible, incredible work aside from School Ties. But for me, oh, he's in School Ties and that's for, it. You see, for me, 
It goes rent? back. It goes back to rent. Yeah, and yes, I had seen Anthony rapping things before, but he had not been at my been um had not come to my attention until I saw Rent. Which when else am I going to tell this story? I don't think we're going to do an episode on that movie. I don't think so. I mean, I would perhaps want a remake because the Chris Columbus film was not did not do justice to the show which uh, I didn't I, see it. I saw it on Broadway the third I think the third night it was open. It was June. It was like right around this time um my freshman year of college 1996. I had a class that was it was a lecture class that was taught by a professor who was also an off-Broadway producer and he knew like Rent had just been transferring from off-Broadway to Broadway, where it was playing in a in a tiny theater that hadn't been used for for years, the Nederlander, uh, named for of course for silent film star Ned Nederlander. And <laughs> anyway, uh, we st- I remember that was when they did the that was when they did the lottery. They they had the lottery. Oh, okay. That you could get you could get tickets for twenty dollars at that time. It was for twenty dollars, and. This was right before the Tony Awards. So like Rent had come to had opened on on Broadway and it was just about to like get really, really big. And we waited online, I want to say for four hours. It was like me and two or three other guys from my my acting class. And, you know, we kind of took turns like leaving the line and going and like getting stuff. And, you know, we just kind of hung out on this line for four hours, which I, I think a month later, if you wanted to get front row seats, which is what we ended up getting, hmm. we got like the last three front row seats. It was amazing. And we paid $20, but a month later to do that, like people were camping out. Right. Of course. Once it blew up. So uh, it felt kind of cool to be r- just right. Sure. Right oh, that's there. cool. And Anthony Rapp was, uh, you know, was in that plays Mark. Yeah. I have uh, a, a an Anthony Rapp connection related pseudo related story, but uh, the year is two thousand one. And when was when did Rent uh, come to Broadway? Nineteen ninety six. Okay, so just a few years later, I I begin going to college at the University of Hartford, uh, where I met my best friend and other podcast collaborator, Louise Gassman. We're recording another episode of I Have a Great Idea, but I'll never do it on Tuesday of next week. And there was a, and we new, have a new Got It. There was a new Got It. Yeah, which we recorded in February and I just was like <laughs> sitting on it for a while. So I saw that come in. I was like, whoa. Hey, that's the thing about Got It is that you never know when it's going to pop up. You never up. know when and you're going to get it, but once you get it. You never it. know when you're going to get it. Got you it. got it. And it's only a minute and a half long, so... There you have it. And then, uh, so I, I meet Louise and she and I become fast friends. And I mean, as fast as you can possibly imagine, we became friends. And furious or just fast? Not furious. Not Never furious. Never furious. At all. Very fast. And Louise was, you know, she was going to the Hart School at the University of Hartford, which is the theater school. And she was studying musical theater. And was extremely into rent. Louise is musical theater. Louise is like musical Flack theater. Like is ballet. Black Pfizer is ballet. I Louise knew you were say is that. musical theater. Louise is musical theater. And Louise, I hope you're listening to this because I, I, 
I love talking about you and our friendship and and all this kind of stuff. But that year, Louise wanted to go to uh, Connecticut Pride. We were in school in Connecticut. This is Pride Month that we're releasing this. So this is a, a very apt story to tell. And we were going to Connecticut Pride. It was not big. It was just a little gathering in a park, essentially, in Hartford, Connecticut. There's some like tents with vendors and stuff like that. And uh, Anthony Rapp was the MC of the day, you know, because there were like performances and stuff. So he was there. And Louise brought, she had like the scarf that he wears in the in, in the show. Oh, yeah. And she brought that for him to sign. And uh, it was a really delightful day. And I remember him being so super nice. And a boy hit on me wearing a shirt that said, Got Rice? Because that's the year that it was when everything was got blank with a question mark. Got rice with that font. With that font, the white on black. Uh, oh yeah, you don't need to. Yeah, we all see yeah. it. And, and if Absolutely. we don't, yeah, if we don't see it, then you were born after that year. Yeah, so that was a good time. Anthony Rapp was there. Connecticut. I don't know what his connection is to Connecticut exactly, but they got him. Anthony Rapp, a fine performer, a great actor, and the man who brought Keith Coogan to Hiding Out and That's to right. Ruin Childhoods. That's right. So I yes. uh, before we move on to Throw Mama from the Train, uh, the new Bill and Ted trailer came out, which is so exciting. It is what the world needs right now. Amongst many other things. Yes. The Bill and Ted 3 trailer. It is the, sorry, it is the, that like the 92nd or however long it is break that the world needs right now to say, to say, yes, this is why I am doing this. This is why I am carrying on because. It looks great. I I want to make it. I want to be able to go see Bill and Ted. (laughs) Yeah, it looks great. I'm oh, really excited about it. When Bill Sadler shows up, oh man. Oh my God. Even just for like half a second, he's in the trailer. It's Doesn't great. Doesn't matter. Oh, it's fantastic. Just the look. It's just joy inducing to see yeah. it. Yeah, absolutely. It's to see Alex Winter and Keanu Reeves back in those roles. Uh, magnificent. For sure. Yeah. So uh, shall we start talking about Throw Mama from the Train? Indeed we should. Indeed, we should. So, should I start with a synopsis, and we'll and we'll take it from there. Synopsize away. Billy Crystal is Larry Donner, a creative writing professor with a grudge. His ex-wife Margaret allegedly stole his novel and became the literary world's hottest new thing. Fixed on the career he was supposed to have, Larry is unable to even finish the first sentence of his new book. Meanwhile, Owen Lift, one of the students in his class, is anxious to win the approval of Larry and become a good writer, but also has a force in his life that makes his entire existence a great challenge. His mother, played by Academy Award nominee Anne Ramsey. When Owen coerces Larry into some tutoring, the discussion comes up about a perfect murder, where two people who have no real connection perform a murder for one another, akin to the film Strangers on a Train, of which this film is a remake. Assuming that Larry is implying that they actually do this, meaning that he would kill Larry's ex-wife and Larry would kill his mother... Criss-cross! 
Crisscross. Crisscross. Criss Owen, Owen goes to Hawaii to track down Margaret and ultimately tosses her off the side of a boat. After he gets back and Margaret is missing, Larry is certain that the cops will think he did it as he has no alibi. The only person he can turn to is Owen, who insists that Larry must fulfill his part of the bargain, the crisscross, and kill his mother. After a few failed attempts, they all board a train to Mexico so Larry can never be found, and he ultimately saves Owen's mother from certain death. They then discover that Margaret actually did not die, meaning that everyone is in the clear. Larry's writer block is lifted, and he rapidly writes a novel about all their experiences together. So essentially, he wrote a book inspired by events that were inspired by a movie that was an adaptation of a Patricia Highsmith novel. Meanwhile, Owen also writes a book about their experiences, except his is a children's pop-up book all about their friendship. And the the murder of Margaret from Owen is, has a big allegedly on it. I didn't say that, but it does have a big allegedly because we find out that she just slipped and fell but was found shortly after. We are, um, through the editing, set up to believe that Owen has taken advantage of the opportunity to push her over. And what an opportunity. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Although, she is bent over the side of that boat, ready to be pushed. She sure is. She's, and, I, you know, I don't remember if the first time I saw it, I thought that Owen pushed her. Because this time, having seen it several times, on, on my latest viewing, I, I was like, oh, so I think he was about to push her. But she, I forgot that she was still alive, but I was like, oh, uh-huh. she just falls over. So he's like, uh, okay. And then he tells Larry that he did it because he wants, he still right, needs him to kill his mother. The crisscross. Yeah. The crisscross. <laughs> have you, have you seen Strangers on a Train? I have not. Have you? Okay. I just watched it because this Throw Mama from the Train is a remake of Strangers on a Train. Yeah. And I didn't write down a synopsis, but I'll give you the overview. So two guys, strangers, meet on a train. One of them is a kind of a semi-pro, pretty well-known tennis player. And the other is kind of an eccentric, wealthy would be heir, but his father wants him to kind of make something of himself. And he's got a few screws loose and he knows quite a bit about the tennis player. His name is guy. And he knows that he is married to this one woman and seems to find out that he is dating somebody else. And so through this whole thing, it kind of is discovered that, you know, he guy wants to get a divorce from his wife, but is having a hard time doing so. So he's able to marry his girlfriend, who's actually the daughter of a senator. And uh, Bruno, you know, so they have this conversation. He's like, hey, so it kind of sounds like, you know, if I killed your wife and you killed my father, who I hate, no one could ever link us. And it would be great. It's a bit of a crisscross. Like they actually used the phrase crisscross, which is right. why. Yeah. Um, well, they put that I into can, the movie. Right. They put the clip of Strangers Strangers on a Train actually in the movie. Which do you know at the, how? At the Vista Theater, which uh, I used to love to go to in, in LA. Um, if I may interject, do you know how they got permission, how Orion uh, 
pour one out for Orion Pictures. Do tell. Oh, yeah. So, although they're kind of, they are rising from the ashes like a phoenix. Yeah, a resurgence. So, um, Orion wanted to use these references to Strangers on the Train, and Warner Brothers, who had the rights to Strangers on a Train, wasn't really down with letting them use it. But Orion owned the rights to Arthur, and oh, yeah, Warner wanted to make a sequel to Arthur, and so they did. They, you know, a crisscross. They, they a crisscross. Tra- yeah, they <laughs> they had a little trade, and then Ar- Arthur Two on the Rocks kind of a shit the bed, and Throw Mama from the Train was the number thirteen uh, most successful movie of nineteen eighty seven. Yeah, for sure. And here we are talking about it today. Yeah. On a podcast, which didn't exist then. And if we weren't talking about that, we wouldn't even be talking about Arthur 2 on the rocks. Probably not. No. Probably so, not. So, uh, please. We might do an Arthur episode sometime. We could do they an did Arthur. a remake of it, but, you know. They, they did... They did do a remake of it, yes. It uh, happened. It did. Right. So, Strangers on a Train, I, I, I won't go into the, the whole thing, but... It is very, very similar, except this time the murder was very real and very much happened. Mm-hmm. And, uh, it, you know, watching Strangers on a Train, and this happens when I watch certain Hitchcock movies, there's a reason why Hitchcock is regarded as such an amazing director. Because even like in some of the early, early stuff, you watch some of the shots that he has and you're just like, wow, Mm -hmm. this feels like a much older movie until something like this happens. You just, it's incredible. Yeah. I, I feel that way. There's, I have, uh, there's some Hitchcock that I love some that I, some that I don't, but some, when I watch things like vertigo, uh, North by Northwest. Amazing. Yeah. Those are kind of the two that, that pop out for me. So I guess it's interesting because you can't really remake Hitchcock unless you can do something like this with it and turn it into a a dark comedy. Well, what's so funny is that it's a remake where they reference the source material. Well, I guess the source material, which is an adaptation, but... Yeah, I mean, it, they directly reference the thing that they are remaking. And I don't think that at the time it was advertised really as a remake of Strangers on a Train. It kind of stands on its own. I mean, I don't know. It, I don't think it was necessarily marketed that way, but I I remember pretty early on, and I, I was... 10 when this came out in December 87. I didn't see it in the theater. Sure, sure, I rented it from Blockbuster as soon as it was available. I seem to remember there being a mention that it was inspired by Strangers on a Train or based on Strangers on a Train or that it was like a type of remake, like a loose remake. Well, I mean, the way that we define remake now... This really falls under that category. Oh, I agree. Yeah, I, very much yeah. so. You know, the the roles are changed to fit what makes the most sense in that time. It well, it definitely is it's a really fascinating way to remake a movie. You're retelling the story, but you're pulling out humor 
in that right. story and you're and you're altering the characters so that there's humor and you're you're getting you've got Billy Crystal who's uh, you know at this time you know he's he's a huge stand up comic he, uh-huh. who's he's been on SNL he's been you know he's popped up in a couple of movies but this is really the, oh he's he's had sure. the princess bride at this point uh yeah but this is yeah. a, his first real like his movie yeah and Danny DeVito's is making his uh directorial debut and even though Danny well, DeVito this is Danny DeVito's I think second movie that he directed no I I'm uh, almost positive he this. made his directorial debut in 84 with the ratings game oh no kidding yeah so I guess it's a made for TV movie okay so this was his theatrical theatrical yeah directorial and and Danny I think Danny DeVito is actually an underrated director I think especially when it comes to dark humor and I think in well, some ways throw mama from the train doesn't go to the extremes that he goes later in his career in a movie like death to smoochie. I know. And, uh, you know, as you were starting to say that I was going to say the movie that he directed that sticks out most to me in terms of his directing career is death to smoochie. I think that that was the first one that I saw where I, where it was like, Oh, this is directed by Danny DeVito. I think it, and I, I would love to discuss it with Danny DeVito but it feels to me like with Throw Mama oh, he from the Train. To the show. Yeah, okay. So uh Danny, just shoot us an email at runechildhoodspod at gmail.com. Yeah. And hey, we're Jersey guys, you know. Yeah, totally. In Throw Mama from the Train, uh had its premiere in Asbury Park, his hometown. That that it did. Yeah. yeah. So he also directed War of the Roses. Hoffa. Uh, the nineteen the nineteen ninety two film Hoffa, Matilda, Death to Smoochie, mm-hmm. Duplex, and uh, I think that that is it. Duplex is kind of dark. It's a weird movie. Yeah, yeah, with Ben Stiller and Drew Barrymore. Definitely yeah, a funky uh, movie. Who oh who plays the neighbor in that? Uh... Oh, that was I'm really close to uh, Eileen Assel. Oh, okay. So that's somebody. Justin Thoreau is in it. Harvey Firestein. Uh Harvey Firestein, whose voice recently came out of my uh TV's speakers. Um oh, what were we watching with with uh Maggie that he's a voice in? Independence Day? Oh, Mulan. Oh, oh yes. Yeah, that's right. One person that we haven't really talked about from Throw Mama from the Train is Anne Ramsey. Oh. Academy Award nominee for this. Yeah. Saturn Award winner for this. Um, Golden Globe nominee for this. She is incredible. She is the titular mama. Yeah, that she is. <laughs> and she is, I don't know who you could have cast to do that any better than than her. It's it's so hard to think of anybody else doing this. I mean, I mean she, I'm sure that you can put somebody in makeup and wigs and things like that to to make it seem as, you know as crazy as it is. But Anne Ramsey really kills it, and you know, I never really gave her much attention in the past, but she really is an incredible or was. I'm sorry, was an incredible actress. Pour one out Pour for one Anne out. Ramsey. Yeah, she. Uh, 
spent her the most of her career playing characters that were i don't know unsavory pretty much all of her career playing unsavory characters she and her husband logan were really really big in smaller theater scenes they founded the theater of the living arts in philadelphia she well i think that they were in about like 10 movies together but she was in bit parts and tv shows all the time whenever they needed you know like a weird nurse or i don't know some crazy lunch lady she was there and it wasn't until goonies that she really was given the spotlight and she really i mean goonies is you know such an incredible movie and it's largely due to her as Mama Fratelli. And I think what she does in that movie and what she does in Throw Mama from the Train is she is monstrous, but allows just the right amount of humanity in. And she does yeah. it. It's more so in Throw Mama from the Train where there's those few tender moments she has with, with Danny DeVito. Yeah. Uh, and... Just those th- that are enough, and it's a, they're they're enough to make him at the at the end. Spoiler alert: try to stop Billy Crystal from killing her. Right? Yeah, she does it the tiniest bit in Goonies with with sloth, but it's it's so disingenuous. Right. It, but she's really still. she was really really fantastic, and it's a shame that we lost her. I think she was only in her fifties. When she passed away in 88. I, I want to say she wasn't terrible. I mean, she appeared much older. Um, yeah, so she was just about 60. Yeah. yeah. She was in her very so late she, 50s. Yeah, In her late 50s. So she could have had a much longer career, but she had throat cancer. And it was shortly before Throw Mama from the Train when she had surgery that affected her tongue and her throat and and i think they had to rebuild some of her tongue and it gave her this speech affectation and it worked in the favor of this character it's so her voice and the way and the way that she says his name is so embedded in my brain that now at the school where i teach a third of the boys are Owen. I always joke. It's, <laughs> I, I, always, I, I always joke. They're Ethan's, Elliot's, or Owen's. And are they really? But I mean, ah. I'm I'm exaggerating. But we I didn't have, think that those were such popular names. Oh well, maybe not in Portland, but drive up I five, if you will. So, oh, Portland and Seattle—they're so no. different, Dan. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, look around, see how many you'll find some Owens. Uh, but any, but as I also had like there was an Owen that was in the play I directed last fall, and I have an Owen in class, and I'm always so tempted to, eh! <laughs> but I'm like that no one is going to get that. It's not like the kids are like, oh, you're Anne Ramsey, got it. Is that an Anne Ramsey reference? You said just that- like Anne Ramsey. Actually, thinking about the kids who I teach, there is probably one kid in each grade that would say that or would get it. Yeah, there's always at least one. There's a few kids 
that come through my class that are like they I'm like, what how did you did you time travel back to 1988 and watch HBO at 3 p.m. on a Sunday? Because that's the only yeah. way I saw that movie. <laughs> yeah. And and honestly, I don't even remember if I had ever really seen this movie before. I thought that I might have. Oh. I would have probably been very young when I saw it and forgotten it, but watching it just recently was like, it felt like the first time. And I'll be honest, I didn't love it as much as I feel like I thought I would given its place in kind of like cult cinema history. And I don't know. I think that just because I've been desensitized a little bit, and so overexposed to like Billy Crystal's style. It it's definitely a more toned down Billy Crystal, which is funny because it's such an outrageous movie. And now that Danny DeVito, you know, has gone uh, to do the most insane things, seeing He's him as a cult Owen, hero. <laughs> he is a cult hero. Although the scene that I liked the most is when he's showing his coin collection. Oh my God. That is such a beautiful scene. You want to see my coin collection? No. I collect coins. I got a dandy collection. I don't want to see it, Owen. But it's my collection. I don't care. Look, Owen, I'm just not in the mood, okay? Never showed it to anyone before. Oh, right, I'll look at it. No, it's okay. Show me the collection. No, you don't mean it. Show me the coins. All right. This one is a nickel. This one also is a nickel. And here's a quarter. And another quarter. And a penny. See? Nickel, nickel, quarter, quarter, penny. Are any of these coins worth anything? No. And here is another nickel. Why do you have them? What do you mean? Well, the purpose of a coin collection is that the coins are worth something, Owen. Oh, but they are. This one here, I got in change when my dad took me to see Peter, Paul, and Mary. And this one, I got in change when I bought a hot dog at the circus. My daddy let me keep the change. He always let me keep the change. Uh, this one is my favorite. This is Martin and Lewis at the Hollywood Palladium. Look at that. See the way it shines on a little eagle? <laughs> I love my dad a lot. So this whole collection is... Uh... Change my daddy let me keep. What was his name? Ned. He used to call me his little Ned. That's why Mama named me Owen. I really miss him. It's a real nice collection, Owen. Thank you, Larry. It really humanizes him, and it explains so much about his character in a way that we don't get in Strangers on a Train with Bruno's character, who's just batshit crazy, and it's never really explained why. 
His parents seem fine. They're rich and they're, you know, hoity-toity, but they're not monsters. And uh, in Throwing Off in the Train, we really get a, a much closer look at Owen's, I don't know, uh, just his, the, it explains the way that he is. You know, it, the the kind of relationship that it reminded me of was in the water boy, Bobby Boucher, Bobby and, Boucher. and his mama. Mama said. Kathy Bates. And yeah. and similarly, I I wondered about as I was watching because I I've seen Throw Mama from the Train you, you know several times over the years I haven't seen it probably in, in in at least five years but watching it and watching Danny DeVito's performance I was kind of curious what what you thought about what was he trying to play because it seemed like he was almost trying to play some type of. I don't know, mental illness. I don't want to go as far as to say mental illness, but... Well, I I would have to assume that there... It's probably not something that's like a, a mental illness that he's necessarily born with, but I think that there's definitely trauma. Yeah. And uh, things that have been, you know, for, like results of abuse, like emotional abuse. And that's, I, and I'm, okay, here's another thing. I was curious yesterday because I could not for the life of me remember what my college GPA was. And I was so curious that I actually like got my transcript from Temple University, which is where I graduated from. And for me in 2005, when I graduated from college, I didn't, care what my GPA was as long as I graduated from college. It could have been the lowest it could have been as long as I graduated from college. And that's white privilege, just so you know. So I got my transcript. It was a 2.88, by the way, which was a point uh, zero eight more than I thought it was going to be. I got a C minus in a psychology class. So take everything I'm saying with a grain of salt. <laughs> but the, anyway, that's where I'm going to where, with, uh, the, you know, my theories about Danny DeVito's character in Throw Mama from the Train. <laughs> that was a long way of explaining that. Well, I so I'm curious to know, and I, I guess this kind of... Are you seg- curious to know what I got in Adventure Climbing? Because that was an A. You got an A in Adventure Climbing? It's like how yeah. I got an A in... Um, detective literature and film or detective Ooh. the american detective in fiction and film i got oh that's sounds really cool wait i think i got an a in that and i think i got an a in images of vietnam which was basically like watching vietnam movies huh so so i i another reason why i wanted to see another reason why i wanted to, oh sorry you're gonna say your gpa I don't remember what it was, but I do not. I think it was. I think mine was lower. I want to say it was like a two point seven eight or. I let's put oh, it man. this way. Let's put it this way. I, when it came when I came time to apply to grad school, uh, I, I did not qualify. <laughs> Some of them were eliminated quite when it was like must have a minimum undergrad GPA, but I was like, uh, nope. I guess yeah. I'm not applying <laughs> there. <laughs> yeah. So uh, well, one other reason why I wanted to see my transcript, and unfortunately, it didn't give me the answers that I 
I had some questions for, but I wanted to see who some of my professors were because I specifically remember, and I couldn't remember if she taught the class or if she came back to speak to our class, but a Temple University graduate is Cheryl Dunyer, who's a fantastic director who's done, you know, films about the Black experience in America that have been recommended by a lot of people lately. And I remember either her, because I remember I took a race uh, in film class and either she spoke to the class or she taught it. I don't remember. I smoked a lot of weed in college and that's white privilege. (laughs) So throw mama from the train. Wait, Dan. okay. No, I'm sorry. I was, I was, I was, because I, I didn't know where you were. All right. So we're kind of getting into the, to the, the re, you know, the, what are we going to do with this portion? Yeah. And to me, the story that I want to know about might not necessarily make for a good movie or even really anything connected with this. Cause I don't think it would be that funny but it would be about Owen's childhood because I feel like he, it seems like this trauma that is connected to his father. Yeah. Like connected to his father. And we, I don't think we, we could, do we, I don't remember him saying if his father died, if his father left, what the deal was. I don't think we find out. But it would be interesting to see because, I mean, who knows if Mama was always this way? Because we, like, I think about the water boy and, you know, right. we don't, we don't know. Did Roberto leave because of Mama? Did Roberto? Yes, Roberto. <laughs> that Roberto. Was Bobby's father, <laughs> Roberto. Yes. Uh, <laughs> so, I, I, I watched a lot of, I watched the water boy a lot in college and, yeah. <laughs> um, well, we'll leave it at that. Uh, so I think I wonder about, uh, oh, and the other, you know, the other character uh, that Owen Lift reminds me of is Marty. Ernest Borgnine, Marty. The, oh, Marty. Yeah, Marty. You know, no, not yeah. McFly. Marty from the 1950s who right. lives alone with his mother and he's kind of, his mother's kind of like, when are you going to do this? And this one's married and uh, she's not nearly Anne Ramsey, but um, yeah, but that's the story I'm interested in. I want to see what happened to where Mr. Lift, uh, Owen's father, what happened that caused this trauma that I yeah. think kind of left Owen in this state of arrested development. Yeah. He's very child. The scene when when he sneaks into Margaret Donner's house, um, I, I keep wanting to call her um, Jane. It's Kate. Uh, J- Kate. It's Kate Mulgrew. It's Captain Janeway. I keep wanting right. to call her Captain Janeway Kate from Star Mulgrew. Trek. Right. Yeah, Kate Mulgrew. She's she's fantastic. But when she's, she's having sex on the couch and Danny DeVito is hiding oh, behind yeah. the couch, and isn't he just like eating chips or. Yeah. He's a, and yeah, he's, I don't know, he's not the very ma- he's, off. He's reading a magazine. He's just reading the magazine. The phone rings. And as the phone's ringing and she's like having sex and trying to reach for the phone, he pushes the phone over. Yeah. But just like, a, oh, OK, you're busy right now. I'm just going to read this mag this magazine. Yeah. When he on the train with uh, the 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 kitty train with Billy Crystal and uh, Kim Grice, who plays the oh, other yeah, the he's teacher. Just hanging out. Yeah. Hi. 
Hi, Larry. It's a great performance, but I feel like there's almost, it's almost like a better performance than we, we realize. I also want to acknowledge uh, Rob Reiner as the agent. Very small role, probably was only on the set for two days, but, you know, definitely stands out. And then we have Branford Marsalis as Larry's buddy Lester. I, th- I guess Lester. they live in the same apartment complex. Branford yeah. Marsalis, jazz musician of from The Tonight Show, brother of Wynton Marsalis, you know, yeah. it, really interesting, I don't know, actor to, to show up in this. Just, yeah. And I, I got to give a shout out to Ray Burke as Pinsky, who, yes, steals that scene. Was it, girls or women? I'd like to. And women, it, I'd like to pork. Well, yeah, it clearly was something else when they shot the that, scene. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, pork is also pretty funny. <laughs> it's oh, it's it's very funny and the way he keeps bringing the way he keeps coming back and like when he's like he's it's like, a coffee oh, so table what's, book. what's her name yeah what's yes. what's her name yes no or when no. he's I, I think when the cops taught when the cops interrogating him and he's just showing that you see the cops are interrogating all the people from the class and then they cut to him and he's just like it's a coffee table book and it's a really <laughs> funny joke it's a great recurring joke. running gag yeah yeah a coffee table book that's just women he'd like to sleep with it's so good <laughs> it's so funny yeah. uh yeah i was blanking on the name of the character but thank you for bringing that up yeah uh so so dan what would what would you do so you i'm sorry you said prequel well i i i think that's the story from this that i'm like i'm not interested in knowing the further details of of Do- Larry Donner's writing career, no, or Owen's like what Owen goes on a the, book tour. What was the name of the book that Margaret wrote? Hot Fire or something? Yeah, it yeah, was something some, like that. Something something ridiculous like that. Uh, yeah. Oh yeah. By the way, the cameo from Oprah Winfrey. Oprah, yes, as uh, herself. Yeah, I mean, otherwise, like, look. You could try to do another remake, but what makes Throw Mama from the Train work is it's a reworking. It's a remake of a thriller that's made as a dark comedy. And Anne Ramsey does not like it doesn't need to be covered up by makeup. Anne Ramsey is just so unique and so well suited to that role you could do a remake and maybe you could do it like, you know, with maybe it's throw grandpa from the train. I don't know. Dan. Maybe like you're like racist grandpa and you're just like, I need to kill. And it's like, Hey, look, I will kill this person for you. If you will kill like my racist, like, you know, old Klansman grandpa. I feel like that's <laughs> what I, I feel like that's, that would be my throw mama from the train remake is like fa- throw, remake fantasy throw racist, throw racist grandpa <laughs> off a cliff. <laughs> yeah. Well, let me tell you a thought that I had about how to do this. Go ahead. And it is similar to things that we had talked about. Was it two episodes ago with three men and a baby and having it, you know, including a TV series that where this storyline would fit in really well. And this didn't occur to me just because of the character's name, but what if there was a season of Curb Your Enthusiasm where Larry is teaching a screenwriting class 
And he uses Strangers on a Train as an example of screenwriting. And he starts talking about, maybe he's talking about Cheryl. And a student in the class thinks that he's secretly implying that he wants someone to kill Cheryl. And in exchange, Larry would kill someone for them. I mean, of course you have Leon as the That's a Lester Chris character. You got crisscrossed. <laughs> yeah. And of course, Leon would be more involved. And the idea that I had for who would be the person in the class that would want their person dead is Sammy, Susie, and Jeff's daughter. So the idea is to kill Susie. <laughs> <laughs> That's how we do this podcast. Yes. Just thinking about how, you know, like Ted Danson would be involved with this. And I I just. Oh my God. Susie is the closest thing we have to Mama and throw Mama from the train. Abso-fucking-lutely. And it's not so much dark comedy, it's just comedy it's, it's curb, your, curb enthusiasm. your enthusiasm yeah exactly but, um, sammy takes a screenwriting course from larry <laughs> yeah probably because because susie i bet what if susie makes her do it what do, does she get sure yeah i don't know anyway anyway well oh, maybe so susie excited. is taking maybe i'm sorry maybe sammy is taking the class but the professor teacher whatever is sick and they need to replace him and and Susie and Jeff are just like Lar, why don't you do it? You could yeah. do it. And he's like, huh? Really? Me? And he does it. Yeah, I know. What if her screenwriting teacher was, what if her screenwriting teacher would have to be like someone that he hates? And it, oh, you'd have to like yeah. the first, like the first episode of the season, Susie would be like, so you know who Sammy's studying screenwriting with, you know, Albert Brooks. <laughs> No. <laughs> Albert Brooks is if you could get Albert Brooks to <laughs> Yeah, I'm I'm thinking cause, I mean clearly there's plenty of people who Larry feuds with. Oh. Who, yeah, but, but I was I'm just, trying to think of writers. Uh, Gary David Goldberg or something like that. I don't know. Uh who knows. Any but oh that would be so amazing. I I don't know. I just immediately went to that. It felt right. I'm glad that you are enjoying the idea as much as I am. I am crazy about this idea. <laughs> I so want this to also because Susie is just it. Might, She's one of the best characters on television. It's so She's hard. So good. Oh yes, La- Larry. <laughs> your fat fucking friends in the other room waiting for you. <laughs> she, the ways that she can go from uh, really, really liking Larry to. Uh, Within an instant, <laughs> hating his guts is so perfect. Susie Essman is incredible. She I, is. I love has her. Has she been nominated for an Emmy for that role? I don't know. Oh, man. She's so wonderful. But that would yeah. be. Yes, that is your throw mama. Please, someone tell Larry David. Oh, wait. What if, it, what if it's Billy Crystal who's teaching yeah, it could be Billy Crystal. the class? Or- <laughs> yeah. That would be kind of perfect. Oh, wow. You know what? It, it's been hard for anything to top the uh, the episode with uh, the, the Michael J. Fox 
Oh, yeah. Run and... Oh, I feel like a throw mama from the train season of Curb Your Enthusiasm would be <laughs> well, well, with, in, in my also, mind right with now. With Curb Your Enthusiasm, it, it's, every season is like, a, well, where do you go from here type of situation. The Spite Store in the last season. There were oh. a lot of things that I didn't like about the last season, but the Spite Store is hilarious. The Spite so Store... Good. The Spite Store was was great. Yeah, I haven't finished. I've watched a most of of the season, and I, I have to say, I've I've enjoyed it. But yeah, where do you go from here? And also, how do you remake Throw Mama from the Train? Yeah, without you know putting Susan Sarandon in a in a wig and some some glasses. Eh, I mean, I could see Susan Sarandon at this point in her life being pretty good at a, as a mama. I mean, I, th- I I I didn't see the movie she did with Melissa McCarthy, where she played Melissa McCarthy's grandma. But that's oh yeah, kind of, that was kind I of what I was. That, that that was kind of what she played I, her grandma. I'm pretty sure she played her grandma. Yeah. Huh. Okay. So yeah, I know. So that was kind of what I was thinking. I was like, I guess, uh, yeah, you know, who else? Who could you get? Like Bette Midler? I'd uh, <laughs> uh, maybe. No, but Susie. Curb your enthusiasm, Susie Esmond. Yes. Yeah, yes. Where else do we go from there? Oh, it, would would it would the season end with them in the tropics together, or is that strictly an eighties movie trope? I uh, I feel like Curb Your Enthusiasm has a tendency to end up in some sort of exotic locale at some point. So oh, I'm just saying I'm saying that because at the end of Throw Mama from the Train, where they end up in hawaii and yeah the the reggae music comes in and it was like oh it's like every it's every like third 80s movie had to end with the characters really oh thank goodness we're through that <laughs> well here's what you do is like after this season kind of resolves and it's discovered that like cheryl's alive and the whole th- and like larry saves Susie's life and everything then uh there's a moment with like where Billy Crystal comes back, the person who was the who was teaching the the writing class, and Larry tells him the whole situation, and he's like, and he's like, well, now what are you gonna do? And he's like, well, what did you do at the end of Throw Mama from the Train? And he's like, we went to Hawaii, and then they just end up in Hawaii. <laughs> <laughs> That's how it ends. Wow. <laughs> Larry See, David, I hope you're listening. Well, what's funny is he's not. What's funny is like Strangers from a Train is very meta in the way that it acknowledges its source material, where this season of Curb Your Enthusiasm would be like double meta, where not only does it involve the source material, but also includes the people who are involved in the remake. That's meta, baby. So there you go. Any other thoughts about Throw Mama from the Train? No, I just, it's, yeah, like, I don't love it. It's not this movie that that I'm always going to come back to. I think it gives you a sense of where Danny DeVito is going as a director. Sure, yeah. But I I, I feel like Death to Smoochie, he's all the way there. And Throw Mama from the Train, it, I really what holds it up the the chemistry between Billy Crystal and Danny DeVito and yeah I think, they're great I think Billy Crystal really does carry it well as the I guess the straight leading man the straight man yeah and the uh, the wonderful performance by by Anne Ramsey so and it's a short it's a short movie so if you've yeah. never seen it 
before it, and you have 90 minutes to kill, you, you know, there's worse ways to spend it. So, Dan, you said this was the 13th most popular movie in 87, something like that? Uh, yes. Yeah. Yeah. So, I don't know if you have any kind of list handy, but I'm curious to know what other movies were around that same area. Because in this month, we've been talking about movies from 1987, you know, the most fun movies, some some silly movies, because this was a year where there weren't very many super serious movies. Dan, you just gesticulated wildly. <laughs> um, I, I, I did. Hold on, because I'm... I'm look. Oh, hold on a second. In your in your releases, because I looked at it. Okay, I looked at it, and it was Throw Mama from the Train was at thirty six, but that also included movies that had been released in you know like December nineteen eighty six. Uh, okay. And you know it was the like Top Gun was probably somewhere on that list, but for uh-huh. in your in your releases, Throw Mama from the Train comes in at at number thirteen grossing $57,915,972. Not that anybody's counting. No, other than the internet. Um, So coming in just ahead of it at number 12 is Predator. Okay. Not a very... Well, it's not a super fun movie, but it's wild. Predator? I mean, it's fun in a very different way. It's fun in a very different way. Yeah. 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 And fun in in another way at 14 is Dragnet, which I actually watched a part of it recently. Yeah. Dragnet, I feel like, is in this in the same kind of world as Throw Mama from the Train. It's silly. It's It's good in scenes. Yeah, it's good in scenes. There are memorable moments, but and it is a, a remake or adaptation but ultimately, it's just kind of like, you know, it is what it is. It's fine. Yeah, and you know what it is? It's $4.99 on iTunes. So oh, okay. I was like, you know what? I would put on Dragnet every now and again, especially in, in the, the world in, in which we live. Um, well, just, yeah. I need, but it, just goofiness. Just, um, oh, so also on that list, because you wanted to know what else was, was in, that, in that neighborhood. At number 11 is Dirty Dancing. Okay. okay. I mean, ni- 1987, when you look up and down the domestic box office for 1987, you see some movies on there that you would expect to be a lot higher. Take, for example, oh, the movie that I was on a, a Teams call with some students this afternoon, and a student asked me if I had seen the movie Spaceballs on Netflix. Oh, my God. At which point I reached my arm over and took my Blu-ray from within arm's reach. I'm like, oh, you mean Spaceballs? I'm like, yeah, I've, I've seen it. But Spaceballs is 31. Have you seen Spaceballs on Netflix? Yes, the Netflix production Spaceballs. Uh, Good he, gravy. He's 15. Give him a break. Uh, no, I, I mean, it just it's bless your dear little heart, child. But I'm glad if, that people are discovering it. The 1987 box office is like kind of crazy because number one is three men and a baby right number two is fatal attraction yeah which pretty impressive for an r-rated thriller yes uh beverly hills cop two at number three 
Mm-hmm. Good Morning Vietnam at number four. Okay. And Moonstruck at number five. I'm not going to run through the whole top 10. Yeah, so sure. You've got kind of an interesting, but then if you, when you look throughout the list and you look for movies like that have stood the test of time and have kind of remained in the conversation, you've got Robocop at 16, Full Metal Jacket at 23. Robocop was 16. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Best Picture winner, The Last Emperor at 25. Mannequin comes in at 27, just huh. just edging out Roxanne, a <laughs> wonderful movie. Uh, but then also up there in the 30s, you've got The Running Man, Spaceballs, Summer School. Those are in at, the 30s. Well, Summer School doesn't surprise me. <laughs> at 35, Adventures in Babysitting. Wow. At 38, The Lost Boys. Where does hiding out fall fall in all this? Does it? Oh, uh, it's gonna I be a while. It'll be a long episode. The, so, the Lost Boys at thirty eight, at forty one, The Princess Bride. Wow, 40. it's so interesting. So, okay, you mentioned the like oh, top. I haven't, I haven't even like reached some of uh, like some inner space up at forty seven. Uh huh. Raising Arizona at fifty one. <laughs> Well, I mean, it just goes to show you that something can be a classic without being a box office hit. Hiding out at 98. 98. Um, hey, top 100. Yeah, it, it it made it in there before Death Wish for the crackdown and um, got beat out. A canon release? Uh, oh, yes. Uh, yeah, canon releases a lot up here in the 90s. Uh, Where did uh, Master of the Universe fall into all this? Oh, Master of the Did Universe they make the top 100? Oh, yeah. Oh, definitely. Masters of the Universe was was actually higher up than you would expect. Where did I see it? Anyway, we're in the top 20. I'm definitely not in the right place. Uh, yeah. Oh, at 65. Masters of the Universe okay. was at 65. That's where I would expect it. But like Superman 4, 69. Uh-huh. Uh, well, Ishtar comes in at 73. Back to the Beach at 79. Right. Ishtar was this year. Yeah. And I feel I feel like we're kind of we're talking about a lot, you know, we're we're really getting off on a rail here, but disorderlies is up there at eighty six. Off on a rail. Thrown uh, off from the train. Yeah, we've been thrown off our episode. Well Leonard Dan, Leonard I'm Part Six. Know, I'm curious to know where our the the movie that we're covering on the next episode falls into all this. Yeah, our next movie that we'll be covering came in at 109 on this list. Oh, okay. Well, you know, it was only released into 15 theaters, and I Is think that it? it it only played in 81. It, at hmm. its maximum, it made uh, just over like five million two hundred thousand dollars. And it has become a classic and it's regarded as a movie that has started careers, has inspired other, other classics, other cult classics. So I think we'll have a lot of talk, a lot to talk about with uh, Robert Townsend's Hollywood Shuffle. Yeah. Co-written by Keenan Ivory Wayans. Oh yeah. We'll be talking about In Living Color, I'm sure. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to uh, doing my homework this week. That's for sure. I yeah. this film uh, is, 
I, I think closely associated with, you know, movies like Kentucky Fried Movie, where it's a lot of vignettes. It's, uh, you know, a satire. And mm-hmm. I, I'm really, I've never seen it before. I've heard amazing things about it. I think it has like an 88% on Rotten Tomatoes or something, something very respectable for a movie that came in 109th that year. Yeah. I, I mean, I've never seen it and it, it's always been somewhere on my radar and I'm really excited to watch it and talk about it on the next cool. episode. Yeah. On that, on that note, to quote the, the number 65 movie of 1987, good journey. Good journey. He didn't like her. When I asked him why me, he said it was my idea. Murder, then there's nothing to connect them. Each one has murdered a total stranger.